Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. Today, spoken entirely in parcel tongue. I'm Andrew. Eric? I said my name in, you said in parcel tongue? Oh, Zoom must have canceled it out. It must have thought it was unwanted noise. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, no. Well, it's on the audio. Uh, hi, I'm Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Micah. And I'm Mara. And today we are discussing chapters 11 and 12 of Chamber of Secrets. But first, a little bit of news. Not the best news, but also not entirely unsurprising. Eddie Redmayne was asked about Fantastic Beasts 4 the other day. And the question to him was, would you love to dive back into the Wizarding World if a fourth film came around? This was in an interview with NME.com. And he said, I mean, at the moment, there's nothing that I'm aware of. So as I'm aware... It's not something that's on the cards. So the reason I wanted to bring this up is because this is the most definitive answer we've received, I think, about whether or not Fantastic Beasts 4 is going to happen. That sounds to me like they're not thinking about it at all right now, right? Well, he wouldn't even entertain sort of the real question there that was asked of him. He's not like, because the question, would you be excited to return if there was one? And, And he didn't even say yes or no to that. He was like, it's I, I don't believe it's in the cards. There's not even. And so, yeah, it's this seem this project seems to be dead in the water of Fantastic Beasts. Um, my question is, why is Eddie scooping WB and everybody? It's like, you know, there should have been some kind of announcement. Granted, we know that Crimes of Grindelwald lost money, but Secrets of Dumbledore kind of made more money than Crimes of Grindelwald. So I'm kind of disappointed, honestly, that there should be just no movement on uh, that franchise. It's probably worth mentioning, though, that Eddie Redmayne did say that he loves Newt as a character. So Mm. it's. I feel like the answer to this question is a little bit of a misdirect because I think if the opportunity were there, he would love to play Newt again. However, it doesn't seem like the opportunity is there to do that. It does Mm -hmm. seem like this film franchise, as we discussed on probably our Secrets of Dumbledore recap episodes uh, that the series is, in fact, not going anywhere anytime soon. And movie three felt like it had an ending there. It did. Mm -hmm. It definitely did. In terms of WB announcing something at some point, I would like to see that, too. I think if they do, it's going to put like a little bit of a bummer of a mood on the fandom so maybe they're avoiding doing that purposely maybe they simply just don't know for sure yet because as we've been speculating we think they want to do a tv show of some sort a scripted television drama but it seems like they don't even have that figured out yet so everything is just very much up in there and then you combine that with you know the problems of the wizarding world with WB being in transition and all these budget cuts and canceling shows and movies and pulling things off the platform. Even George R.R. Martin said the other day, it's in light of what's happening at Time Warner right now, it's difficult to get movement on the Game of Thrones projects. And Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon were very successful. So there's just a lot of unknowns at Warner Brothers right now. But I, I do feel like these comments mean Fantastic Beasts is probably over, sadly. Yeah, I, the only other thing I was going to add is that we know David Yates has kind of moved on from this film series as well mm-hmm. to take on other projects. So presumably he would not be available for a while as well to work on the Fantastic Beasts. 
yeah uh series and i agree with what you said andrew the the, the whole i wouldn't say everything was wrapped up but it, it, a pretty nice bow is put on it at the end of secrets of dumbledore and it's not like we don't know what happens we, we know what happens. It's just that we don't get to see this very cool cinematic showdown between Dumbledore and Grindelwald. Although we did get a little bit of that in the movie. We got one. It was a little short. I was hoping for something a little more. But yes, yes, there there were definitely some loose ends. They would ideally have tied up in, in future movies. I really wanted to see that whole Dumbledore Grindelwald storyline play out. But oh, well, hey, there's always the Picket Teddy spinoff. Yeah, a little mini series maybe on HBO Max or something. Maybe animated. All right. Well, Eric, why don't we jump into chapter by chapter? That's right. We're doing chapters 11 and 12, the Dueling Club and the Polyjuice Potion. Of course, as always, we start chapter 11, the Dueling Club with our seven word summary. Students. Get. Ready. For. There. Dueling. <laughs> Club. Did I screw everybody up with no, ready? I don't, I don't think <laughs> no. so. I, 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 I will, I will so. take the, I will take the blame on this. No. I, uh, I, it could have gone wrong with get too. I think that's pass. <laughs> I think that's passable. Okay. So one of the things that really delights me about um, going back through these chapters after all this time, and we say this from time to time, every time it happens really, is when we get um, sort of, when we read a scene that we totally forgot kind of was in the books and it's this amazing moment um, in the chapter. So following the events of Colin Creevy being attacked, uh, it really seems like Harry, Ron, Hermione are going full steam ahead on getting this Polyjuice potion together and uncovering the mystery of who is the heir of Slytherin. So uh, in following that, they first have to steal some ingredients. They have to plan what I have called the heist of the century and really, really get the two remaining. It's like Horn of Bicorn and uh, Lacewing Flies. So two objects from, from Snape storage. I thought it would be great to start off this uh, discussion here by rating sort of their approach and basically having a little game segment on this um, on this thing. But, you know, in the movie, it's not really like this scene in the books is almost cartoonish in the extraordinary magical effects caused by the swelling solution, which is their distraction. Harry blow throws a firework into Goyle's cauldron. I just forgot how much fun this was to read. Yeah, I had forgotten about this scene as well. And found myself, you know, kind of surprised at, you know, some of the suggestions that we got. I mean, even Hermione piping up and saying, I think I need to be the one to steal these ingredients, because if you two get caught, you're definitely getting expelled. I've got a clean record, so it'll be OK. But would it really be OK? <laughs> Snape? No. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think so. <laughs> I guess it would be better than if it were Harry and Ron. So at least there's that. Yeah, she says it with a confidence, too, that I thought was pretty entertaining as well. Yeah, she's really the uh, the rule breaker through most of these chapters. You're a bad girl, Hermione. You think you're all good, <laughs> but you're not. You're a little baddie. And what I what I really like about this, too, is is it does set off um, kind of a series of events where 
people steal from Snape's potions cabinet, right? <laughs> and, and this is the first instance of it, but we see it in Goblet of Fire with Barty Crouch Jr. Dobby also does it for Harry. He steals the gillyweed uh, for the second Triwizard task. So, and there is a reference back to it. Uh, to this particular moment of Harry kind of stealing polyjuice ingredients in Goblet of Fire as well. Snape accuses him of it, but we know it's Barty Crouch Jr. So I like that the groundwork is being laid here a little bit. Yeah, Yeah. it's something nice to come back to. I mean, it makes sense that the potions master would have special ingredients that are harder to get that aren't available to everyone. And yet he seemingly doesn't have locks on these potion cabinets. Well, there's that. Well, yeah, I, I wonder if potions class is in session. So maybe that's why Hermione sees this as the best opportunity, because maybe his stores are open because the class is going on. That's a great question. Yeah, we have three three sections here of this uh, game segment. The first is the plan, followed by the distraction, followed by the execution. So first, the plan. The plan is break into Snape's personal storage, a thing the st- students totally know about, and retrieve the needed potions, ingredients, bicornhorn, and boom slang skin. So were there any alternatives, like when trying to rank this from one to five as a plan in general? Five being the best plan. Five okay. being five being this is the best plan out of all possible plans. I think in terms of ease and speed, they have now established there's an urgency around getting the Polyjuice potion done. They know where to find it. They don't want to waste time looking for it elsewhere. While this is risky to break into Snape's potion cabinet, they know it's there. So I th- I would put this at a four or five in terms of the plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think maybe there were other options for them to get these ingredients, but Hermione does note that they are rare ingredients that are hard to get your hands on. So they would probably have to go through some like black market connections, which may have taken longer, may have been more dangerous for them. So I think this one ranks at like a four. Since they don't yet know about Mundungus and they can't right. um, get, they can't go to the Hogshead because they don't have their Hogsmeade permission slips because they're just in their second year. Um, they are closed off to some maybe more natural alternatives. Uh, mm. So yeah, I agree. I'm four or five. Go on the lower end actually for this. I, I think that there were other options uh, than doing it in the middle of class. I think they could have used the invisibility cloak to get into oh. his storeroom, maybe during the Christmas break when less people were around, maybe when Snape was you know, up in the Great Hall attending the Christmas feast or doing something. I just think this is high risk uh, and they've proven that they can do other things uh, with the invisibility cloak. So that would have been my vote for this. So we're going to say probably averages out to a four overall on the plan. Probably. Yeah. Okay, next, the distraction. So here's what happens. During potions class between the Gryffindors and Slytherins, Hermione is just going to sneak in in the middle of class. So here's the time to ask the question, would they have had better luck or lower risk um, by distracting him outside of class hours. So this com- comes kind of back to, is the potion storage only available during class um, or only unlocked during class? Or, you know, so many people could have seen Hermione slip in and out of the cupboard despite the distraction. 
I think your point about the cabinet being unlocked during class is probably a good one, assuming there is a lock on it. And you would think Snape's the type of person to do that. It would be unlocked during the class. So it makes the most sense. I think the point of doing it during class, too, is also so that Harry can prank Draco and Goyle. I think from a reader standpoint, it's just more fun to see them be affected by this as well. Yeah. 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 It's also an alibi, right? Because when Snape notices these ingredients are missing later, he's not going to know when they went missing. And if he suspects that Harry might have been in on it, he knows presumably that these stores are only unlocked in class and he knows Harry was in class. Laura loves true crime. She thinks like a criminal. So it's good. It's good you're thinking this way in here, Laura. Listen, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready so to give a good excuse. We're we're all thinking during class. Well, I love the idea, the establishment of the alibi cuz Snape has seen Harry, has seen Harry through the crisis because he blames Harry for the whole thing but mm-hmm. isn't sure. So, yeah, if Harry was caught throwing a firework, he's not going to have been the one to steal the thing. So yeah, I'm going to give this a five as uh, in terms of that. I'll second that. I'll give it a five. Yeah, I agree. I'll go with a four. Tough grader. Professor Micah. Wow. Everyone. Okay. Thanks, Micah. Now we got to do a decimal. <laughs> 4.7. Thanks a lot. Finally, the execution. Here's what actually happens. Harry lobs a filibuster firework into Goyle's cauldron of swelling solution. The result is absolute chaos. Over 20 students have oversized body parts, including Draco, whose nose is like so heavy, he's like leaning forward. Goyle gets it in his eyes and others. While Snape works to administer the deflating drought that will put him uh, back or deflating draft, Hermione uh, successfully has enough time to get what they need. So it works. But could this execution have been better? In particular, I want to ask about targeting Goyle because. I think that had Harry kind of gone into some friendly fire here, maybe taken a Gryffindor's potion and thrown a firework into it, there would have been much less suspicion directly on he himself. Versus, That's true. Yeah. Why would yeah. Harry do this if he's just affecting his fellow Gryffindors? Like, but then it, the poor Gryffindors are getting attacked. Well, yeah. I mean, look, nobody wants to have their nose grow to the size of a watermelon, but... Uh, yeah, it's it's hard not to see it, that like this really is still Harry's getting his kicks attacking the Slytherins who deserve it. Sure. But. Mm-hmm. A mean thought, though, here is in particular, if he had thrown it into Neville's cauldron, one that would just, you know, confirm all of Snape's biases against right. Neville. And he might not have even thought potentially to search the cauldron for a firework or anything like that, because he assumes that Neville is so inept that he, you know, probably could have done something like this on his own. And he also knows that Harry and Neville are kind of friendly. So he probably wouldn't jump to the assumption that Harry was the one who did it. That sounds like a good thing then. Yeah. It just, it speaks to lack of preparation. And we're going to talk more about that on the part of all three of them, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, to not kind of think through it in the way, Eric, that you just laid out. Because I do think strategically, it would have been better to throw it in a Gryffindor's cauldron than in a Slytherin student's cauldron. I also think Hermione should have probably gotten some of the solution on her. It seems 
very strange that maybe she's the only one in the class who doesn't have any uh, effect from this taking place. At least for Snape, it would have aroused my suspicion. And I think Hermione is better than that. But same time, this all playing itself out the way that it does, I was wondering if it was in fact kind of a nod to the Polyjuice Potion, right? You have all of these body parts that are changing and growing yeah. into different oh, sizes. That's brilliant. Yeah, I think so. I was also thinking about how it's Draco's nose that grows, and I'm thinking about he's a liar, Pinocchio. I don't know if there was any <laughs> oh, intention man. there. That's really good. But... I like that. <laughs> Although I'm pretty sure it's not as cute as Pinocchio's. I'm pretty sure it's just no, like... No, it's <laughs> like, right, like a giant ball. <laughs> okay, so is that uh, we all ready to rate the execution? I'm going to give it like maybe a three, three and a half. Three. I'll give it a four. I'll be a little more positive. I'm going to agree and give it a three. They do achieve their goal. So what's that like 3.3 you want to call it? I think Eric's actually doing a calculation. (laughs) No, 3.375, Andrew. You're right. So. Oh, cool. All right. Yeah. I totally did well in math in school. (laughs) Okay. So we averaged out here at a four out of five. So the overall great potions heist, greatest potions heist of the century is four out of five or 80%. It's a B, B minus. However, the threat from Snape is very real. If he ever finds out who did this, they will be expelled. He will make sure. And I call so BS he says, on yeah, this. So well, he says. We've seen him try and expel. Like It's ultimately not his decision. Otherwise, they right. would have been expelled at the beginning of the year. But like, just the idea, even if he doesn't get you expelled, you're going to have a very angry Snape. And that is mm. not something that I want. As we see in these chapters, he's... Yeah. Uh, but he teaches the Weasley twins. There's no way something like this hasn't happened in his class before. <laughs> I, I just don't yeah. think he could really pull off an expulsion for something. This is just like class romantics. And it's like when a parent threatens, like, you know, I'll take away your Game Boy if you don't listen to me. They just, they uh, hold a threat over your head that you think is the worst thing ever. And I mean, expulsion is really, really bad. And we probably need to talk some time about what would happen to expelled students and the ones we know about, because it's interesting, like how would that affect your life in the wizarding world based on what we know so far? And I think it's very unfair for a student this age to do a prank like this and get expelled. I mean, they're only in their second year. They still have so much of their life and their uh, education in front of them. So... Yeah, I don't know if I believe that Snape is serious when he says that. I think he's just dangling it over their heads to spook them. I'm so emboldened by the success that the trio has, though. Ultimately, it does very much work. Hermione gets in there, gets the things they need, and remains undetected. Actually, Hermione, unsuspected. Um, so the is this their most successful caper, their most successful plan that comes to fruition? Or what other ones from later books come close? Thus far, this probably takes one of the top spots. Yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. I, I think to date, definitely, because they they walk away unscathed in, in terms of, you know, I was thinking back to the end of Sorcerer's Stone, but, you know, Ron kind of gets injured. Hermione has to stay back. Harry ends up in the hospital wing at the end. So not really like a clean sweep. Th- this was pretty well executed despite all of the uh, things that we called out with their plan. Uh, but I do think Harry in particular pays for it 
as we get into the dueling club, because I think that Snape certainly suspicious of him. And this goes to the point of Snape can continuously being able to read Harry's mind. And I think that that in and of itself is something we could talk about at some point, because I don't think it's really fair that he's able to do that. Uh, (laughs) I was getting that same read about um, Snape taking it out on Harry during the dueling club. Like He senses guilt. Yeah, he suspects that Harry was the one who actually caused these antics during during class because like Snape is always mean to Harry but it seems like another level when you're reading the dueling club stuff yeah I mean he doesn't need an, uh, an excuse to punish Harry or cause Harry's life to be difficult um, yeah and actually I would argue it backfires during the dueling club because we all learn something very important <laughs> but it's not I mean Harry defends himself well but the cost is too high before we get into what happens at the end of the dueling club itself, I wanted to talk about the purpose of the dueling club to begin with. I love this scene in the movie, by the way, and I remember it being in one of the trailers for Chamber of Secrets too. And I just that, that those scenes always stuck with me. I thought it was really well done by Chris Columbus and everybody. But Lockhart says he wanted to put together the dueling club to help students out in case the stu- the students ever need to defend themselves. But was this created purely in light of the Basilisk situation or did Lockhart just want to promote himself and his books? Because he also does mention at the start of this, for full details of my experience, (laughs) see my published works. Because why does this need to exist when they already have DADA where they could be doing this? You know, or maybe Hagrid could be teaching them something about what a threat could be and how to defend themselves. I just I don't see the purpose as much as I love the scene. I think it's Lockhart wanting to show off. I think it's just another manifestation of, you know, his sense of bravado Um, that he's really trying to impress a bunch of school age children, because if you put him you know, in a room full of adults um, trying to teach something like a dueling class, I think they would very quickly come to realize that he's full of it. It's a little bit easier for him to try and pull the wool over a group of children's eyes. Um, but even some of these kids are picking up on the fact that he's a fake. I mean, Snape blasts him so far yes. back. He's I was just, just going like, to bring it. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, maybe Snape is feeling this way, too, about what Lockhart is doing, because that's why he uh, snaps at Lockhart in their duel. Right. And then Lockhart gets up and he's like, oh, I meant I meant to do that. I wanted all of you to see Mm -hmm. how that worked. So unabashedly ridiculous. (laughs) And Well, let's not forget that Snape wants that position. So the fact that you have a fraud teaching it. Yeah. The level of Lockhart probably... Look at who you chose. But it seems so unnecessary, though, despite all the reasoning we just gave for Lockhart wanting to host the dueling club. It just, there's no need for it. You're not going to duel the basilisk. <laughs> well, some defense well, It's still self-defense. Yeah, yeah so they don't know that it's a basilisk. I feel like that deserves to be called out. Um, just anything going around, you you should be ready. You should have constant vigilance about this thing because there is something. This whole dueling club thing to me is the school's response in the absence of much of a response at all. This is a response to the fact that the school hallways are not as safe as the or incident free as they once were. Um, Notice my correction there. So I think that this is this actually speaks to the teachers doing something to address 
the recent attacks, and that is ultimately better yeah. than nothing. That's that's a fair counterpoint. But you're putting the burden on the students, though, too. Uh, well, everyone has to do their part to kind of defend to clean up Dumbledore's mess. <laughs> Everybody At chip Hogwarts. in. No, but I I think to to Micah's point. Uh, well, to to counter Micah's point, I would say that you have to have the kids prepared anyway. Like, sure, the the teachers should be the ones taking care of the situation, but just in case. You should have them prepared. Yeah. Just in case they're the ones who run into whatever this threat is. It's like, use the buddy system, but also here's a shield charm. You know, yeah, just, just, in, just case. in case. Just right. Okay. The fact that it they don't they don't succeed in actually teaching anybody really much anything, except Harry learns Expelliarmus. Um the the whole kind of thing being a bust is more on Lockhart than on the I guess nature or the um, reasons for actually doing the dueling club. You know, some students actually got some practice. To that point, in the Discord, Teresa says something that I think is really a good call out, that Lockhart has a bigger audience in this way than in just his regular class. Mm. He's He's got hundreds of students to be able to showcase his skills in front of, which certainly books, baby. feeds his ego to no end. <laughs> well, and so we were talking a couple minutes ago about Snape's treatment of Harry in this scene being due to the pranks that were just happening in his classroom. Uh, it seems like we're in agreement there. I think, Laura and Micah, you had other reasons why Snape treats I Harry mean, the way he Snape, does. He's looking for reasons to target Harry. We can't forget that just a couple chapters ago, you know, he was suspecting that Harry was not being completely truthful about, um, you know, the series of events that took place from his perspective on the night of the first attack. Yeah. And then throw in the fact that I'm sure he's still a little bit miffed that Harry got off so easily after flying the car into the right. willow. So this has been <laughs> kind of a slow burn um, for Snape throughout the course of um, this entire book. He just, he feels like Harry just keeps getting away with stuff and I still think a large part of it has to do with the fact that he sees so much of James yeah. in Snape or sorry, in Harry. And it's probably bringing up a lot of old memories, a lot of old emotions, maybe from when he was in school and James was getting away with a lot of things. Uh, and and Snape was probably the recipient of a lot of those things. So we mentioned that uh, the dueling club, you know, is kind of a catastrophe, kind of a hot mess. Um, but, it, you know, it culminates in this reveal as Harry Potter, in an effort to save Justin Finch-Fletchley from a snake attack, ends up speaking Parseltongue in front of the whole school. And people actually think, because no one else there can understand it, that he was setting the snake on Justin Finch-Fletchley. But this news is completely out of left field for everyone except Harry, who's like, oh, yeah, I talked to a bow constrictor once. <laughs> um, and he doesn't realize what big of a deal it is. But this unfortunately launches him into the very center of speculation, the very center of suspicion as it relates to these attacks, because very few people are parcel mounds. And one who was, was Salazar Slytherin. So I wanted to focus on this situation because the book has really actually the all the books have been to this point leading up to kind of this reveal which is a major plot point throughout this story 
uh, as well as the mall with Harry's connection to Voldemort. But um, I wanted to kind of go through all of the evidence because he is now, you know, suspicion. Uh, he is now main candidate number one for the person doing these attacks. And we know he's not, but it's really hard to ignore all of this evidence now. I mean, Snape doesn't even know what to do about Harry being a parcel tongue. He doesn't handle the situation either. He just, it happens. And then Harry just like kind of walks out. Everyone is stunned by this. So let's hear the evidence, lawyer. All right. First and foremost, parcel tongue. It's really rare ability. The fact that Salazar could speak parcel tongue was the reason that Slytherin has a snake as their emblem. And even Harry's closest friends didn't know this about him, which speaks to maybe he was hiding it. And the critical excuse for Harry is that he doesn't realize he's speaking parcel tongue when he does. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the problem here. Like, he doesn't see it as a big deal because he didn't know he was talking parcel tongue. Sure, he's talking to the snake. And yeah, he could have brought that up. But maybe he would have been more inclined to bring it up if he knew he was actually doing it. Yeah, I think that's fair. The nature of like actually speaking it is kind of weird in that way. Yeah. I mean, look at how Zoom treated your parcel tongue. They they muted it because they were so freaked out. <laughs> You're yeah. right. I didn't even. Re- yeah. And you didn't even realize that you were speaking. Par- <laughs> it's it is blowing my mind right now. This is why we do this. This is great. Well, and I think this could lead to another point that you had in there, Eric, about the potential for Harry to be blacking out because if he's not even recalling the fact that he's speaking another language, there is a chance that he could be blacking out during these events and be the one who's responsible for petrifying all these individuals. Yeah. It really doesn't rule Harry out the fact that he would claim that he's not doing it. And even that he wouldn't know that he's doing it. Say for instance, that instead of Ginny Weasley, who we know is the one doing this, she's being possessed by a fragment of Voldemort's soul. We could say Harry's possessed by a fragment of Voldemort's soul. Let's say, in fact, that after Harry defeated Voldemort, a part of Voldemort's soul went and started to live in Harry. Let's just say, crazy crackpot theory. That segment of Voldemort's soul living in Harry could be controlling Harry. Right. And we actually do see a little bit of that voice speak up when Harry enters Dumbledore's office in the next chapter. And it's when he is about to talk with the Sorting Hat. And we do know that the Sorting Hat tried to place Harry in Slytherin first. It saw his ambition, the thirst to prove himself, and ranked that higher than Harry's, you know, good guy stuff. It was so sad to me when Harry talks to the Sorting Hat. Like, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) You would have done well in Slytherin. To your point, Eric, and and I can pull it up when we get to the next chapter, but there is that little kind of voice inside of Harry's head that speaks to him about Slytherin. And I wonder, is that the Horcrux? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing, fortunately, this is the one piece of evidence that only Harry knows to this point. Thank God. Um, because I'm pretty sure it would have been the nail in the coffin if if, if more people knew this. This piece is the one yeah. piece of evidence that Harry is keeping to himself because his secret, quote, secret about Parseltongue um, is now public knowledge. That is some hot gossip that would run around the school for sure. <laughs> but oh, yeah. Hermione brings this up at the end of the chapter. There is always the chance that he could be related to Salazar Slytherin because of the fact that this guy lived thousands of years ago. Yeah, right. That's right. So the next piece of evidence, Harry had a run in with Filch before Filch's cat was attacked. 
Harry was annoyed by Colin taking photos of his broken arm the day Colin was later attacked. And Harry already knew Justin was muggle-born before the DC took place. Dueling Club. DC, Dueling Club, okay. Yeah. Ernie paints a grim picture, but this part checks out because both events did occur right in front of a large body of students. The timing is remarkable here. Mm-hmm. I feel like we need um, some like Phoenix Wright courtroom music playing behind all <laughs> of this dun, dun, as we make the order. <laughs> I was thinking that dun 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 dun. Well, I mean, this we have to move on to a pretty damning piece of evidence, at least on its face. Harry hates his Muggle relatives. I thought that was a pretty clever one. Yeah, from Ernie. Huh. <laughs> Well, like to what to what level the students know about Harry's home life, uh, you know, kind of gossip, but they get it right. The problem here is and and this this whole sort of huge suspicion, which is a good song, um, by the way, you know, really comes down to the Hufflepuffs and Ernie McMillan in particular confronting Harry about this stuff. But Harry even willfully admits this when Ernie's saying, I heard you hate your muggle release. Like, listen, you couldn't live with the Dursleys and not hate them, he says. It was a good comeback. Yep. It was a great comeback. But he's at his wit's end because these are all very strong indicators that he's the one doing this. Another piece of the puzzle here, and this I'm glad this is brought up in, you know, by Ernie. But it's also speaking to things that have been fleshed out a little bit more in subsequent books and on Pottermore. The idea that Harry defeated Voldemort as a baby because not because he's pure, but because he's an even darker wizard that Harry could be this major dark wizard. This is actually uh, a kind of theory that leads to Lucius Malfoy. Um, actually getting Draco to try and befriend Harry in year one. Uh, that Lucius is like, what if Harry is the next Messiah, essentially? Um, and so I just thought with all of these pieces of evidence together and the idea that nobody knows why Harry really defeated Voldemort, it's just such a compelling argument that Harry could be doing this. And it's a perfect kind of storm of evidence circumstantial or otherwise and and real fact that is harry's disposition towards his muggle relatives it's it's crazy how implicated harry is to be honest well right and i think so you combine that with the fact that kids are inclined to spread rumors and the other major issue here is there's no other suspects who are jumping out i mean there's so much evidence stacked against harry who else do we want to blame? We we can't figure out anybody else right now. Everybody's scared, so they're not thinking reasonably. I just wish that the faculty were defending Harry more in this situation. And then Harry's also stuck because it's difficult to prove a negative. It's impossible yeah. to prove a negative. The burden of proof. He can't prove he's not the heir because he isn't. <laughs> <laughs> they do need somebody to just... Get in front of this, like, say, I don't know, somebody in charge of the school and the students and, you know, who likes the students and who occasionally talks to them during meals. Um, We need somebody to, like, come up and really be like, okay, I I believe Harry, because while Dumbledore, who we're going to meet soon uh, again, is convinced of Harry's innocence, he's doing very little to make life easier for Harry. Um, And he's doing very little at all, period, plus period. Uh, to really stop these attacks. There's not a lot he can do, but 
somebody should be either grilling Harry, like putting him in a room and forcing him to tell them everything, or uh, clearing his name for everybody. Because yes. this is wrong to have these whispers going around. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if it's a strategic decision on Dumbledore's part, because we've already established that he could very well suspect that Harry is in one way or another being influenced by Voldemort at this point in the story. So if he thinks that's a possibility, he can still say, no, Harry, I don't think it's you. But there could be um, some subtextual interpretation there around. Yeah, I don't think it's consciously you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you're saying Dumbledore may be lying? Yeah. You know. <laughs> You well, we know. can get to that in the next chapter. When we... <laughs> I was hoping, I was like, how are we possibly going to raise our stagnant and uh, it's been mold- moldering <laughs> Dumbledore line I would say too, Eric, um, another really piece of damning evidence for Harry, probably the one that hurts him the most, is just that he's always at the scene of the crime. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He's got to stop he, that. Yeah. <laughs> he's given the opportunity to get away from the Ernie McMillan scene, or sorry, the the Justin Finch Fletchley scene, and he doesn't. He he, <laughs> he it's feels that... bad leaving him there though, and I don't blame him. Yeah, but I I do agree overall that Harry being a parcel mouth, this should have warranted a more nuanced conversation from Dumbledore or McGonagall immediately following the dueling club, right? Like. It should have, I mean, maybe it's not Snape, but it's Lockhart or it's somebody else who's in that room is like, dude, like you cannot leave this room. Like you need to stay here. There's more that needs to be investigated because what you just did is not normal. Also to explain to Harry, like Harry has to wait another four or six months in order to get that talk uh, with Dumbledore about why he can speak parcel tongue. That should have been... You could, there's a way to non-spoilery do it with Harry because it's just like when 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 you are a kid and something happens like your voice breaks for the first time or something relating to your growth and puberty, like your parents sit you down and go, this is what's happening to you. This is why you are the way, like this is what's happening. Somebody really needed to do that for Harry because he's going to continue to suspect himself even now and doubt himself. Somebody should just say, look, this doesn't mean that you're all bad and the whole snake thing is blown way out of proportion. Don't worry about it. So let's look at some odds and ends before we wrap up this chapter. I mentioned this earlier, but Harry's first experience with Expelliarmus takes place here. What a momentous occasion. This becomes his go-to spell. The start of something special. I know. (laughs) Oh. So what do we make of... There's kind of a disparity because... Expelliarmus is the disarm charm. It expels your arms. Um, But Lockhart goes flying. So is this on Lockhart? Is this on Snape for giving like a more oomph to his spell? Or or was Lockhart just holding on too tightly to his wand? I think it's Snape. It's meant to showcase the power that he has as a wizard. And I also think by contrast, it's meant to show how weak Lockhart is Mm. as a wizard. Mm. And I think it also just adds to the fact that we've been slowly giving clues that Lockhart is a fraud. And this just is something that you could potentially add to that list, especially we know that he says after as well, I knew exactly what Professor (laughs) Snape was going to do. It was Uh, was the only too easy 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you do a much better Kenneth Branagh than I do, but uh, yeah. I and actually, I wanted to talk about this, and and maybe we can do it when we get um to when he actually erases his own memory. But I just think that it's it's almost too much how bad and inept he is. I, I think there would it, it would serve the character of Lockhart better to have a few moments where he actually does look like he knows what he's doing. That's fair. Give him a couple of chances. <laughs> there was this really odd moment with Lockhart. Um, and this is when this is after the kids have kind of gone against each other a little bit. It says he raised his own wand, attempted a complicated sort of wiggling action and dropped it. Snape smirked as Lockhart quickly picked it up, saying, whoops, my wand is a little overexcited. I mean, I don't know what to make of that. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. I, it's just an excuse. You know, I think a comment like that, you know, maybe from somebody like a Professor Flitwick, for example, would come across differently, right? Because I think we've all been in public speaking situations where you know, something maybe slightly goes amiss and you try to tell a quick joke to ease the tension and move on. But for Lockhart, it just amplifies his ineptitude. And Flitwick, a dueling champion, by the way, that was referenced in this Yeah. Chapter. So why isn't he teaching this well, class? Yeah. The man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> what he is, doesn't have books to sell. What is Flitwick doing? Oh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's not a sales opportunity for him. Wouldn't it have been better? I mean, I know it's great that it's Snape, but like, wouldn't it have been better to be Flitwick? Especially if you're Lockhart, you would want to go head to head with a dueling champion just to even like raise your ego that much more oh my god oh or just make an excuse when you lose the little bit of uh the little bit of self-preservation and sense that Lockhart does have probably told him he didn't want to get in it with a uh, official dueling champion <laughs> but 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 Flitwick also wouldn't have attacked him as viciously as Snape is doing yeah I also just wanted to drop a quick LOL at how you can waft a ghost with a fan. <laughs> that seems really unfair to the ghosts. And I'm surprised people didn't do that with Peeves a little more often. If if it's that easy to tease them. Yeah. Funny visual. Couple odds and ends for me. Uh, the beginning of the chapter when Harry gets out of the hospital when he's looking for Ron and Hermione, he comes across Percy, who's noted as being in a much better mood, far better spirits strolling out of the library uh, than obviously he was when they encounter him in previous chapters. And uh, what's going on in the library? Got to keep an eye on that. <laughs> Percy's getting a little, you know, something, something. Uh, it was noted that uh, Colin sat next to Ginny in charms. So, you know, we're kind of given these breadcrumbs now throughout the course of the story. We know that uh, Ginny is really upset about Mrs. Norris because she's quote unquote, a cat lover. Uh, now we find out that Colin was sitting next to Ginny in charms. So I'm sure they spoke and I'm sure he let slip that he is in fact muggle-born. Mm. Uh, and then of course, Hagrid runs into Harry in this chapter and he's carrying uh, a couple of dead roosters, which we know uh, comes into play a little bit later on because the cry of the rooster is fatal to the basilisk. That seems like an evolutionary fail for the basilisk, by the way. Like that's, yeah. well, <laughs> because funny. Well, isn't the rooster essential to the hatching of the basilisk egg? It's a, yeah, it's a toad sitting on a chicken egg, I think. Um, oh, okay. Never mind. Well, bo but both of those things are <laughs> present at the burrow. 
toads and chicken eggs are explicitly called out. Um, oh, yeah. So I always thought there was going to be a basilisk rising up out of Ron's house. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. But I mean, eagle-eyed fans or whatever. <laughs> but uh, I feel like the crow of the rooster, it's nice that something very common is able to stop this thing, but totally crazy that the basilisk and roosters should be in the same time and place. <laughs> and I had kind of a dark thought while I was reading this chapter and thinking about, you know, who all has been petrified so far and how long it takes to cure them. You know, it's not till the end of the school year. And I was wondering when people are petrified, are they conscious or are they unconscious until they get cured? Because how much would it suck if these people are all conscious and they're just frozen statues for eight months? Yeah, that would be freaky i'd yeah. like to think I, unconscious yeah i hope Let's... so but i mean sometimes we hear about you know messed up things happening with magic and messed up things happening in the wizarding world where we're like hey wait <laughs> that's really dark and messed up so it, this just struck me as something interesting that there isn't sort of like uh an answer on this one way or the other. You know, I this just occurred to me, but because Hermione eventually gets petrified uh, for, I think, the last couple months um, and she's in the hospital wing, the time that she loses from being frozen is like almost like if she if she'd stopped aging at that moment, then she is actually a few months younger than normal. And I'm only mm-hmm. saying this because it balances out next year when she's doing all that time traveling. <laughs> Right. And taking classes over point. and over again. Maybe she goes back to her actual like regular age and birthday uh, age wise from all the time. Yeah, from. maybe. Do you want to ask her? She's right behind me. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> hey, she's Hermione. like pouring something into my ear. I don't <laughs> no, you never ask a woman how old she is. Um, and something else I wanted to point out is like a connecting the threads moment. Um, during the dueling club, Harry uses Rictusempra, which is the tickling charm on Draco during... Um, their interaction. And then he later uses Sectumsempra, which we know functions in a similar way, but has much more dire side effects um, in Half-Blood Prince. So I thought this was interesting. I had completely forgotten about Rictusempra. So now I am imagining, did Snape, when he invented Sectumsempra, say, I want to make like a rated R version of the tickling charm. (laughs) (laughs) And it was probably intended for James. Yeah, probably. That's great. Yeah. This also begs the question, Laura, how many fan fictions exist with Harry tickling Draco? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there are at least a handful. You know, the interesting connection there is that Snape stops both attacks um, when Harry sends the tickling charm to Draco. Uh, Snape is the one to issue a finite that stops the effects of it. And Snape similarly is the only one who can save Draco after Sectumsempra. Love it. All right. Well, that concludes chapter 11, The Dueling Club. Time to move on to chapter 12, The Polyjuice Potion. It's time for seven word summary. All right. Draco. Confirms. That he isn't Slytherin's baddie. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love it. Very fun. Beautiful. Love that one. So we begin the chapter in Dumbledore's 
office. And this is the worst thing that ever could have happened. The fact that Harry has stumbled on <laughs> Justin Finch Fletchley, of all people, has now been attacked and nearly had this nick. So going off of the height of suspicion, and we talked about all the evidence uh, that's leading against Harry, Harry finally has some FaceTime with Dumbledore, except to me, it is shockingly short and underwhelming. And Dumbledore simply says, okay, Harry, you're here. Well, anything you want to tell me? <laughs> this is your chance. And Harry, weirdly, but also like, okay, it's he's 12 and he's nervous, says no. And that's the end of the scene. So what is Dumbledore thinking? In fact, what is Dumbledore's plan to address these attacks at all because I feel that a conversation is due or explanation or a mutual checking in that is deeper than just is there anything you want to tell me no okay have fun in class Harry yeah so as I am known to do I'm going to defend Dumbledore a bit here uh, and I'm also going to whoa. blame Harry a bit as well. he sent you cookies last month I and Dumbledore don't want to hear it you know what you're right. I, I like Dumbledore now. Dumbledore's delights. He was thinking many steps ahead. It's a new month. What's he sending me this month? <laughs> <laughs> you can buy Micah's uh, tolerance. Oh, get Dumbledore to sponsor the show. <laughs> so we'll stop crapping on him. Look, Harry just heard relieving news that Dumbledore does not suspect that he's at fault for these attacks. So Harry should feel very comforted by that. Dumbledore has Harry teed up in this private environment to open up, and Harry does not. Maybe you could say that Dumbledore could have pushed him a little more. I think I would agree with that. But this was a perfect opportunity for Harry to share more of what he's got on him. Further, we know that Dumbledore did, as Eric said, just kind of quickly let Harry go. Dumbledore may have just read his mind and got the information that he needed out of him. He had Harry right in front of him in a private environment, probably easy to read his mind right here. And he let him go for that reason. He got what he needed. This makes it worse. If if Dumbledore sees any of what's going on in Harry's life, he should want to intervene. Because if he sees that Harry has been searching and there's this voice in the corridors, like Dumbledore, if he really put his head down and, and, and talked to Harry, could have solved the whole Chamber of Secrets thing in about five minutes. Yeah, mm. it's a fair point. And I think for Harry, he's got to be looking for answers, though, too. And he's not getting any. And, and Dumbledore is the one who can probably give him the greatest amount of support. Sure, it's awesome that he doesn't think that he's the one responsible. But surely Dumbledore got word back from Snape that Harry is a parcel mouth. And I think that's something that he would want to have – he would want to discuss with Harry, no? Like – it's just very surprising to me. And yeah. Yeah. And, and I also think it's important in this moment that Hagrid busts in and tries to exonerate him because it's kind of a complete contrast to what happened the last time the chamber was open, right? Like mm -hmm. you have Tom Riddle who is putting blame at Hagrid's feet. And then here, 50 years later, Hagrid is trying to absolve Harry of any responsibility. I love that. For, for what's happened. And they were talking, so it, it's 
unlikely that Harry was the one responsible at the time. But yeah, I just, I want more out of Dumbledore in this moment. And, and this moment in particular, I, I think it, it's the same in the book, but we get it in the next chapter where Dumbledore asks Tom Riddle, is there anything you yeah. wish to tell me? And he says, no, much like Harry does in this moment. So there's that connection between the two of them. But you have to wonder, was Dumbledore reading Tom's mind uh, if the very same way he does for Harry uh, in, in this moment? And I'm just over like reading people's minds, like give the kids some privacy. <laughs> Well, if he's twelve, but again, if like, why are you reading a twelve-year-old's mind? If that's what he's doing, it's dreadfully insufficient. Then his response, like, or to just let Harry go, because this is a time for conversation. This is a time for helping Harry understand what's going on with himself. Like Dumbledore, if you if you've ever fancied yourself a mentor or a person who cares at all. You need to get in here. Like your child is being evasive. Okay, teachers everywhere know. Like you can press a little harder here. Well, and I would say especially because a lot of people suspect he's the enemy and to not help Harry in this moment is pretty bad. Harry is hurting. Harry is suffering here. This is still very much a new world to Harry. He doesn't understand all of the different nuances and and you know we even saw it at the end of the last chapter he does he thinks that it's commonplace to be a parcel mouth that oh i'm sure hundreds or thousands of wizards can do this mm. and i think that would have been a great opportunity for dumbledore to to do a little bit of explaining but yeah i also want to know who the hell lets their kids stay at hogwarts for the holidays given everything <laughs> that's going on this school is a thousand percent security nightmare uh, this time should have been used for some serious investigative work by the professors. They're just chumming it up in the Great Hall. Hagrid's getting drunk on eggnog. Dumbledore's leading everybody in Christmas carols. Even bring the ministry in to try and help. It's just, it's ridiculous to me that all this stuff has gone on and like yeah. they're celebrating Christmas in the same place where just like a few floors away, you have Colin and Justin and Nick who are all petrified. It is a perfect opportunity to do a deeper investigation while all the students are out for the holidays. On the other hand, some students don't just don't have a place to go. So maybe they could have set up like a temporary uh, temporary sleeping quarters in Hogsmeade, maybe yeah. just to get the kids out for a little while. They could have gotten them some hotel rooms over there. <laughs> it really doesn't make sense. But I think an interesting parallel to draw here, too, between, you know, you can look at this as a parallel between books two and six, um, but really you can also just look at it as a parallel to, you know, Harry and Dumbledore's interactions throughout the whole series and Dumbledore's uh, lack of transparency during the vast majority of the series. There's a lot that he hasn't told Harry so far. We understand that's because Harry's young, he's 12, he's a kid, right? Um, But why would Harry be incentivized to tell Dumbledore something he's uncomfortable about if he's getting the sense that Dumbledore isn't telling him everything? Something else to point out, too, and I'm sorry, it's a knock against your boy, Andrew, Um, we have to remember when we're thinking about why wouldn't Dumbledore intervene here more because he has to know how dangerous this could be for Harry. At the end of Sorcerer's Stone, Harry uh, proposes the idea that Dumbledore let him 
and Ron and Hermione go after the stone because he felt like Harry deserved a chance to face Voldemort (laughs) as an 11-year-old. He's doing it again. Yeah, he's doing it again. If he thought that then, he thinks that now. (laughs) Like, that's the only thing that explains how short, well, short of a crackpot theory I have that's coming up in a moment, but that's the only thing that explains why Dumbledore lets him go. It's like, okay, you don't want to talk to me? Uh, awesome. Get back at it, my boy. Good luck. Yeah, go, go there. The Good luck finding everything. But like, Dumbledore has all the answers. Harry has none of the answers. Dumbledore does not disclose those answers to Harry. He's a bad person, let alone a bad mentor, a bad teacher, a bad headmaster. I did love the cookies, though. Yeah, the cookies were <laughs> just delicious. Um, but we have to accept multiple truths here, you know. Cookies can be good and Dumbledore can be bad. Exactly. He can be a skilled baker, but also, you know, a horrid liar. I bet he had Jacob bake those cookies. Mm, that's right. Oh, he would. <laughs> Old friends. <laughs> so Andrew's <laughs> never sending us cookies again. It's okay. Pat can. <laughs> I kind of considered it a crackpot theory, but do we really think it's possible that Dumbledore is reading Harry's mind uh, in this moment? The reason that I would say like using book evidence that this occurs is just that there's a mysterious sort of time jump. Like you could easily finish this scene between Harry and Dumbledore with, okay, thank you, my boy, you know, we'll talk later. But instead it's really just a dot, dot, dot. And then a time jump to talking about over the next couple of weeks, how the story leaks out and Harry gets more uh, suspected. The Like that to me speaks to Harry's mind going a little foggy. Maybe there was an in-depth interrogation. Maybe Dumbledore did find out literally everything that was going on in the school at that time and made preparations subsequently. Because it's just what gives otherwise. I don't buy I mean, I like that you dreamt this up, but I don't personally buy into it. I I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's what actually happened. Yeah. It's just kind of Harry's evasiveness being just this moment in the books where he has a chance to maybe come clean and chooses not to. You know, I, I don't know if I think this would have happened, but I think evidence in the text suggests that it could happen. Dumbledore very much still carries that greater good energy with him throughout this series. And there are plenty of times where he subjects students to things that you wouldn't consider to be ethical in the interest of the greater good. I mean, even think about, um, I think Marietta Edgecombe is a great example from Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously no great harm comes to her as a result of this, but he does allow her to be knocked unconscious so that she doesn't bear witness along with, you know, Umbridge and others, um, to his departure, right? So uh, he has mm-hmm. shown that he would do things like this if he felt like it served the greater purpose. Uh, yeah, I feel like Dumbledore would give Harry a chance to explain himself. And then maybe I would even prefer, because I want Dumbledore to do something. I want Dumbledore to engage with the problem that's plaguing the students of this school. That is his job. So I want to believe that he would give Harry a chance and Harry, because he's all about choices, Harry chooses not to, but then Dumbledore takes matters into his own hands. Right. Well, yeah, it almost feels like he has a willingness to let things play themselves out 
and not intervene. Maybe he believes that ultimately Harry will lead him to what is going on. But uh, you mentioned sort of those following weeks before we get to the Christmas holiday. And, and one of the things I just wanted to call out that I found funny, because it, there's always these moments with Fred and George where you know they do something or they say something, like they have the comment about falling off the astronomy tower. George actually has a comment when they're walking down the hall with Harry, you know, touting him as the heir of Slytherin. They say, yeah, he's nipping off to the Chamber of Secrets for a cup of tea with his fanged servant. And there's no reason to believe at this point that the creature has fangs. Intense. <laughs> so I thought that that was kind of just dropped there um, and you'd easily read past it. Uh, and also Jenny's response to everything that's going on. She's like, no, please stop joking about the next person he's going to attack. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're being kind of fed breadcrumbs, but we're not really picking up on them. Let's go to a lighthearted <laughs> kerfluffle of another kind. We're talking about the actual incident of, or actual instance of the trio taking Polyjuice potion. So as well executed as the great potions heist was, and as well uh, planned and executed as the making of the potion is, there's just a lot of stuff that could have been better planned uh, surrounding the actual time spent underneath the influence of the potion and in disguise. This potion took a month to make, and it seems like, for in, in particular, Harry and Ron did not spend that time actually talking about how they were actually going to achieve their goal of figuring out who the Air of Slytherin was. Yeah, they made a plan to steal the ingredients that they needed, but... So many of the items that we're going to chat about here in a moment are things that should have occurred to them pretty easily, knowing who they were going to transform into and where they were going to go and what kinds of questions they wanted to ask. Yeah, it. That, yeah, I, I definitely agree, Laura. I, it, the, the fact that they haven't really thought through how to behave as Crab and Goyle, I, I'm thinking of the moment. And I'm presuming it's Penelope Clearwater who's coming up from the dungeon area because we run into Percy not yeah. long after that. And, you know, they're, again, up to a little something, something. Yeah. But they run into <laughs> Percy, too. Then they run into Draco. And Draco is probably the person that they need to be thinking about how to act most appropriately around and really what questions to be asking him. It's, it seems like there was absolutely no preparation that was done. All the preparation was in the potion, not in the actions that they were going to be taking after the fact. And they actually behave kind of similarly in Deathly Hallows when they, you know, turn into all those ministry officials. Mm. They kind of just are are not in control of their own. They just let other people guide them, kind of in a thing. It's like Yeah. In in a way, it's it's lucky that they were Crab and Goyle because they're aloof, Crab and Goyle are <laughs> any any old day. I mean, they do a great job of this in the movies, obviously, um, with getting angry when certain things are said. But like, even the way they ask Penelope about where the entrance to the Slytherin common room is, it's done in such a pleasant way that it would never be done that way by Crab or Goyle. So it's risky. It's very risky. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And it it really just is like, it's not until they have to knock Crab and Goyle out, thanks Hermione for the assist with the cupcakes, that they even realize, oh, we should take their shoes because we're going to need bigger shoes to be Crab and Goyle. And that that happens in the moment. That's That's there. And Hermione gives them robes that she got presumably from the laundry, wherever that place is, um, you know, the moment that they're about to transform, these are not things that were secured a month ago. These are not things that were planned for or even like familiar to them. It's kind of just dumb luck that when they get into the common room, Draco even brings up the heir of Slytherin because for the short amount of time that they're there, they're not doing anything to really guide that conversation or to get the answers that they seek. And it's just in comparison or in, in contrast, really, with the preparation of the potion, the execution is just a complete one, one and one if we were rating this. <laughs> I, I think in their defense, when there is something that needs to be done as complicated as the potion, maybe you naturally won't think past it because that's kind of your main goal is getting the potion done correctly and transforming into them. So on one hand, I kind of understand the hill that they had to climb and why they couldn't see past it. But on the other hand, yes, they should have thought forward, uh, thought more ahead. But, uh, you know, hashtag they're 12. Yeah, they are 12. But in terms of the actual potion brewing, it's Hermione who's doing pretty much all of the work there. So Harry and Ron could have could have spent some. Yeah, maybe she could have assigned, you know, you guys think ahead in terms of. Yeah, being... give them some homework to do. Well, so something like figure out where the Slytherin common room is. OK, sure. If you go up and straight and ask a Slytherin where their common room is and you're not also a Slytherin, maybe they'll get suspicious. OK, I get that. But you can follow Slytherins. Eventually, every night they go back to their yeah. common room. Like Harry has his cloak. Like just over the over thirty days, pick some time out. the The fact that you don't know and you like, if you have to ask someone where the Slytherin common room is when you're on the clock as a polyjuice person, it's too late. You have waited too late. And remembering right. they only have an hour here, you know. I also feel like the sidelining of Hermione uh, in this chapter is kind of interesting. I've always felt it was weird. Like ever since I first read it, I was like, oh, man, Hermione's like totally sidelined. But it's questionable what her plan was going to be anyway if she had transformed into Millicent Bolstrode. But this idea that Millicent Bolstrode, quote, must have a cat. Did Hermione not prepare for this eventuality, and we never then see later Millicent Bolstrode petting her cat. So, what exactly transpires that just causes Hermione to basically not be able to participate? I, I don't know that she ever even needed to. To be honest with you, like Crab and Goyle are good enough. She didn't, unless she felt like she was going to be able to get some additional information out of Draco as Millicent. I, I don't really see any need for her to have transformed in the first place. Uh, and I also really just don't like her rationale for turning into Millicent because Millicent is not actually at Hogwarts at this time during the Christmas break. And she claims that she was just going right. to say, oh, well, I came back early. Okay. Well, then what happens when the real person shows up a couple weeks later? Yeah. You know, it just seems really fishy to me um, and, and risky, honestly. The other thing I was going to say Though when you're talking about sidelining Hermione, and I'm interested to get Laura's thoughts here too, is it's kind of a setup for her being sidelined later in the book. 
Yes, 100%. And I mean, we see that um, different characters are sidelined at, you know, different points in the series. For example, Ron gets sidelined in the next book. Really, you know, if Hermione hadn't been petrified, she was clearly on to what was going on with the Basilisk. And, you know, the trio would have figured out what was going on with the Chamber of Secrets much sooner and the story would have been much shorter. So I think Hermione does have to be sidelined in the interest of, you know, allowing Harry and Ron to figure things out on their own. Um, Even though she does offer some help from beyond being petrified. I think that all of this, though, kind of speaks to something that we see with Hermione earlier in the series, where she is incredibly intelligent, highly book smart, and oftentimes doesn't exhibit a ton of street smarts. Like, she's not slick. Um, And I think even when it comes to you know, her transforming using the polyjuice potion, even in book seven, she's still not very good at passing herself off as another person, right? So I think this is an example of how she is an amazing strategic thinker for this kind of work. But when it comes to the human element of how do we implement a plan and have it seem natural and not have other people question it. That's something that Harry and Ron would have been much better for. So it is a miss that they don't do that here. Um, Something else that jumped out at me is very funny about this and kind of speaks to Hermione's excitement about getting this potion right, but maybe not thinking through all of the other logistics. I'm pretty sure we can all tell the difference between cat hair and human hair. Um, uh, I don't know if I agree. I think if it's like a single hair, are you going to really be able to tell? I don't think so. Well, maybe Hermione's never had a pet. I don't know. Well, that's but... that's probably a factor, too. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. That's why she gets a cat in the next book. If I see a single hair and I'm not expecting it to be a pet, I'm just expecting it to be my hair. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, she knew it wasn't her own hair, so she must have given it some scrutiny because Hermione pulled the hair off of her own robe. The other thing that I was thinking about as far as maybe motive, yeah, the plan is bad enough. Uh, the plan about Millicent and Hermione is bad enough that Hermione should have just nixed it and let Harry and Ron take the potion without taking it herself. But since she didn't, I was trying to ascribe a motive. And maybe there's a little bit of revenge that Hermione wants for the scuffle. Uh, because during the dueling club, it becomes a flat out brawl and Millicent has Hermione in at, I think, a headlock uh, yeah, at the time does. when the fight is broken up. So that explains the closeness, why Hermione could get a piece of her hair. But I wonder if the transforming into Millicent and pretending to be her for just an hour is some kind of weird, sick revenge, you know, that that would also be very natural to want to one up your enemy here. I also wanted to bring up that I think while Crab and Goyle were sufficient, like was said a few minutes ago, I think Hermione just wanted to experience Polyjuice Potion herself too, mm-hmm. being the curious yeah. person that she is. She did all the work. Yeah, exactly. So it's also very 
kind of interesting to connect the threads to Half-Blood Prince because Hermione is the one here who is so immersed in the potion making and responsible for the polyjuice potion, but she is so adamant against Harry using the Half-Blood Prince book uh, to brew his own potions in in book six. So mm-hmm. um, that's just something that kind of came to mind as I was reading through this chapter. Yeah. And it is funny because Hermione, you know, yeah, she's using most potent potions to do this, but um, it's not a situation where there are helpful notes in the sidelines of this book offering customized tips for her to be able to brew this potion successfully. So it's really a testament to what a skilled witch she is, which is a great contrast to Half-Blood Prince, where Harry's kind of phoning it in when it comes to potions, and he's getting a lot of glory for it that he really doesn't deserve. Definitely. And that's why she's so mad at him in book six, is because she actually understands potions the way that you're supposed to, the way that Snape wants everybody to. Right. And honestly, I mean, a second year being able to brew a polyjuice potion would be something to celebrate, but nobody knows about it, right? Can you imagine if Slughorn knew Hermione had done this? Oh, my God. She would be in the yeah. slug club. And she she <laughs> Which, is, but yeah. there is an element of Hermione doing a lot of really great work that happens behind the scenes and doesn't get lauded and doesn't get celebrated But then Harry uses someone else's work effectively and accepts a lot of praise and glory from, you know, at least his professor. Um, And he doesn't try to uh, correct that narrative. So it is an interesting contrast between their characters. I love that. It's honestly Hermione being able to brew a successful polyjuice potion in year two is probably as impressive, if not more, than Harry being able to conjure a Patronus in year three. Yeah. What can Ron do? He's really good at chess. That's true. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> so would more planning surrounding this have led to better results is my next question. Because Hermione's, the the after effects, though, of Hermione's transformation in particular should be raising red flags with every adult in the school. This isn't just some, oh, my friend accidentally transformed me into a cat the way that happened to that kid in the badger in the last chapter, because that would have worn off in a day or would have been easier to remedy. Hermione's in the hospital wing for weeks. There can be no real secret about what she tried to do or did do and what, by extension, Ron and Harry are up to, because everyone she can't hide her transformation. Would more planning? No, I don't think so. Well, definitely not from the standpoint of getting the information that they wanted from Draco. I I think they they netted out as best they possibly could there. They got all the information that they needed. Right. The the unfortunate thing for Hermione is it's just kind of a a side effect of of rushed planning, maybe. I, I mean, I don't... I don't know what more they could have gotten out of the situation overall. I, I, right. I, they they learned that Draco is not the heir. Um, you know, they learned that the chamber was opened before 50 years prior. Um, we know that Draco is like all about everything that's going on. No surprise. But aside from that, I mean, what else would they really need to learn? 
I, I think it just comes down to the fact that they don't get away stealthily. Anyone who has any brain knows that Hermione just attempted to transform herself into a cat or somebody else. And the cat was the side effect. I mean, maybe she she would have kept him in check from a timing standpoint. Maybe, but I'm just saying like this blows the gasket wide open. There's There can be no secret among the adults what happened to the trio. So just taking it back to when we rate the great potions heist, like there's a plan that was executed swiftly. Nobody ever suspected Hermione did it. There's that. But coming out of the polyjuice incident when they have to make the potion, everyone would know that Hermione did what she did. And that's that's the whole point is to have done this secretly was really the goal. But anyone who's looking, that wouldn't be possible. Do you think Madame Pomfrey would have kept this discreet? Like, does she, does Hogwarts have any like HIPAA requirements for the hospital wing? <laughs> I was going to say, you would think legally she might have to. I would think there are some sort of rules like that. But Dumbledore would need to know, I think. Isn't it says she doesn't ask too many questions? Yeah. Well, that's like a convenient, but still you have to be able to diagnose the problem, right? So unless Hermione comes clean and is like, I took Polyjuice Potion, how is she going to get fixed? She probably knows what actually went on. I mean, how many things could it possibly be? <laughs> like, There's just no way Dumbledore doesn't find out and there's no way McGonagall doesn't. Yeah, I would think Dumbledore knows who's in the hospital and, and why at all times. So uh, plus one for the it's all over count that I've had as a running joke here on the show, because (laughs) there was this line. If Harry wasn't scared out of his wits that he was about to be thrown out of school, he's always thinking he's going to be expelled. And he never is, Harry. So don't worry about it, bud. You'll be all right. Also, notice that um, the current Slytherin password is pureblood, which I think is pretty tone deaf at the moment. Yeah. Not the best choice. Also pretty on brand. At least for this representation of Slytherins. As a Slytherin, I'm upset by the current password. At least it's not mudblood. It's very tone deaf. And I love point. I love that that gets pointed out. <laughs> it's like, what are they trying to say here? They're really giving into the whole Slytherins are baddies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So here's an interesting thing that happens. Hedwig delivers the Harry's Christmas present from the Dursleys. And Harry's thrilled to see her and says, oh, you're speaking to me again. And Hedwig nips his ear affectionately. Let's do some math. This is on December 25th. And Harry has apparently like assumed that Hedwig is angry with him for the Whomping Willow incident that happened on September 1st. Yeah, it's time to let go, buddy. For Harry to suspect that Hedwig might still be angry at him means he hasn't checked in with her in three months. (laughs) Does he not hang out with her? Does he not ever check on his owl and say hello? He's been busy, I guess. Three months? Does he even have a pet, honestly? (laughs) Like, I feel so bad about about Hedwig and Harry's relationship because of the the time that has gone by. (laughs) And then, of course, Dumbledore did tell Harry a little bit of information about phoenixes, which is actually a very funny moment amid all the tension. The fact that Harry gets into Dumbledore's office and the bird explodes. I think, yeah, well, of course, because he now thinks that he's done something else to add to the list of reasons why he's in Dumbledore's office. He's now, you know, killed Dumbledore's bird. But uh, it is it is important. We get a lot of good information here. Dumbledore tells Harry that phoenixes can carry immense loads, their tears have healing powers, and that they make extremely loyal pets. And all of that obviously comes into play later on 
Draco lets slip uh, during uh, the polyjuice scene that there is a secret chamber under the drawing room table in Malfoy Manor. We know that also comes into play a little bit later on in the series. It's where uh, a lot of folks are kept prisoner in Deathly Hallows. And then I mentioned this earlier, but uh, you know we do find out later on in this book that Percy and Penelope Clearwater are a hot item at Hogwarts. And uh, if you look back at some of the moments throughout these chapters, it's clear that they were sneaking around to uh, hook up with each other. Mentioned that Harry and Ron as Crabbe and Goyle run into Penelope at the top of the stairs before they go down to the dungeons. And then of course they run into Percy uh, as well a little bit later on. So just keeping tabs on uh, everybody's favorite Weasley. <laughs> Yeah, you're like really well, into Percy. I, I think this what's book. interesting about it, though, is again, Percy keeps turning up in some suspicious places during this book. You know, he turns up outside of Myrtle's right, bathroom. Right, he's being set up as a suspect. Right, and it is a totally valid question. I think that Ron asks him, like, "What are you doing down here?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we have another Christmas upon us, and I want to honor what we did on episode 583 after book one's Christmas. If you recall, we ranked Harry's Christmas presents for utility, desirability, and thoughtfulness. We're not going to do the same thing this time, um, but here are the gifts that Harry got, and what kind of order should we put these in in general? The Dursleys sent Harry a toothpick and a note telling him to find out whether he'd be able to stay at Hogwarts for summer, too. Wow. Just wow. <laughs> well, what did they send him last year? Was that the sock? The, the sock, sock, maybe. So I'll, I'll, I can take this one. I think the toothpick utility wise, I mean, that's actually pretty high utility. <laughs> Desirability and thoughtfulness, probably pretty low. <laughs> Finding out whether he could stay at Hogwarts for the summer. I got to imagine desirability is high on that from Harry's standpoint. Oh. Oh, he's like, good idea. Utility and thoughtfulness. It seems like they don't really care about Harry. So thoughtfulness would be low. <laughs> Utility, again, could be high for Harry if he's in fact able to <laughs> to stay there. Is this the worst of all his gifts that he gets? It's got to be, right? Yes. Yes. 100%. So far. Okay. okay yeah. so oh, on this list. Yes. Yes. It's the worst gift. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because, well, so Hagrid's comes like second to last, I think, because it's a large tin of treacle toffee. Uh, but Harry has the wherewithal to soften it by the fire before eating, if he ever does eat it. Candy can be good. Uh, but yes, you're right. I think this is kind of useless. I mean, it's nice over the holidays, but in terms of usefulness and thoughtfulness, I'll give it a two. It's useful in that it can put you in the holiday spirit, but that's about it. <laughs> so from Ron... A book called Flying with the Cannons. We know that's the Chudley Cannons, a book of interesting facts about his favorite Quidditch team. I think this is really thoughtful, and I love the, yeah. I love the practice of giving a gift that's something that you love, like sharing your passion with another as a gift to them. I love everything about that. I agree. Definitely a five for thoughtfulness. Um, you know, desirability might be a, a little lower just because, you know... Uh, Harry doesn't really talk or we don't hear much from Harry's point of view about the canons. Right. So we, I don't, I don't know if we ever get the impression that he actually reads it. So maybe give it, you know, a four, but the utility is probably high because it could come with some good uh, Quidditch tips and tricks that Harry himself could use. Yeah. Or implement. So, so I'd I give this a four overall. 
So that's pretty high. That might be his best Christmas gift. Uh, We'll see. Hermione gives him a luxury eagle feather quill. This is also utility is through the roof, right? Harry's Mm going to use a quill. It's definitely thoughtful and desirability. You know, Harry's going to look real nice when he's writing homework. So this is pretty high, but I would almost put Ron's gift higher. How do you guys feel? Uh, I think a nice new pen can uh, really move people. I know people really like a good pen or like a letter opener. People are into that type of thing. I don't know if Harry is. I mean, at least this one isn't cutting up his hand. So (laughs) it's pretty good. Exactly. He's had worse pens. This gift made me think of Lockhart, though. Yeah, oh. me too. Like Lockhart has the same eagle feather quill, and I got this for you, right. so you could. Look I, I would down. say this is yeah, Ron and Hermione's gifts are pretty close for me on on this Christmas. If you had to rank one higher, what would it be? Ron's because it's thoughtful. Yeah. Quidditch. He's in the Quidditch. Ron's is more personal too. So uh, finally, from Mister and Missus Weasley, a new hand knitted sweater. I guess Harry grew a lot over the summer. He needs a new sweater. Um, from Mrs. Weasley, and she does give him a large plum cake and a Christmas card. They go all out every year for Harry, making sure he knows he is loved. How would we rank this? Is it does it beat Ron and Hermione's presence or no? I mean, the thoughtfulness is there. I'm gonna say because he doesn't have parents, I'm gonna give it a four out of five. Yeah, I agree. You know, does Harry need it? No, but it reminds him that he has a family. Exactly. That he's a member of their family and he does need that. All right. So those are the two chapters. And we have more MuggleCast coming this week because new on our Patreon this year, we are releasing two bonus MuggleCast episodes every month. What are we talking about this week, Laura? We are going to be talking about Tom Felton's memoir, Beyond the Wand. Um, A couple of us recently finished reading the book And we're going to chat about some of our favorite moments, um, as well as some of the, you know, surprising information that we learned and, um, you know, how much information Tom gave about his full career, not just Harry Potter, although that was a lot of the book. Cool. Cool. So we will talk about that at patreon.com slash MuggleCast this week. This joins a host of other benefits, including early access to each episode of the show, ad-free episodes of MuggleCast, access to our recording studio as we record typically every Saturday morning, an exclusive Discord and Facebook group. You'll become a member of the MuggleCast Collectors Club. And at the Slug Club level, you'll receive a second physical gift every year. Last year's gift was the MuggleCast wand. And in previous years, we've sent out t-shirts, signed album art, tote bags, mugs, and more. We have an excellent membership program for those of you who support us at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. So please do take a moment to check that out. We really appreciate everybody's support. And now let's move to MVP of the week. I'm going to give mine to... Hagrid. Um, he, he has a pretty small moment in these chapters. We don't see a ton of him, but he remembers all too well what it's like to be accused of this particular crime. And he immediately jumps to action to advocate for Harry and defend him. I feel like this moment kind of passes by without a ton of fanfare and I think it's just a beautiful moment showing that Hagrid is a great friend um, a great father figure to Harry and always has his back 
I'm actually gonna give it to Draco for showing his true colors. I'm gonna give it to Snape for putting Lockhart in his place on the Dueling Club stage. Take that, Lockhart. Yeah, we talked about this, but Hermione being able to successfully brew the Polyjuice Potion means that she gets my MVP. If you have any feedback about today's chapter by chapter or next week's chapter by chapter, you can send an owl to mugglecast.gmail.com or use the contact form on mugglecast.com. To send a voice message, record it using the voice memo app on your phone and then email us that file. It's high quality. That's why we like those voice memos. Or if you don't want to do that, you can use our good old fashioned phone number, which is 19203Muggle. That's 19203684453. And now it is time for some Quizage. Last week's question. Thank you, Micah, for doing this. During the Dueling Club, who does Snape pair Hermione with? The correct answer is Millicent Bolstrode. You're getting a lot of mileage out of that person today. (laughs) We may have had our most successful week ever with over 40 entries getting the correct answer. Thank you to everyone, including... Buff Daddy, Daphne, Elizabeth K, Escape to Poop Mountain, Harry's One True Spell, <laughs> Hayden B, Micah's Sexy Voice, Little Nerd Maid, I Miss Count Ravioli, Marilyn Jack, The Gnome on the Weasley's Christmas Tree, Unicorn Hair Slipper, and, or Unicorn Hair Supplier, and Yervatter Cadaver. And next week's question. What spell does Hermione use on T.M. Riddle's diary? Submit your answer to us on the MuggleCast website, MuggleCast.com slash Quizich, or go to the website, hit on Quizich at the top in the main nav. Make sure you're following MuggleCast for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. We release new episodes every Tuesday. And leave us a five-star review if your app allows you to place a review. We love seeing those reviews, and we love seeing the reviews that people write on Apple Podcasts. So thanks, everybody, for your support. And also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. That does it for this week's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.